Hello guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome to the newest episode of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. I'm Austin, I'm a knockout, I've watched a lot of wrestling. I'm David, I'm a noob, and according to the uh, the in-storyline script we have uh, that, that dictates our, our in-show reality, I have watched very little wrestling. Hey, you've watched uh, two weeks worth of wrestling, I think. Or one week, if, if it's me. I, I'll, I'll talk <laughs> this week. You've watched this uh, week's worth of wrestling. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, this is a bit wild. Uh, can, despite having a z- despite there being a zero um, breaks in our release schedule, this, it's been almost two weeks since we recorded the Brody Lee episode. And now to today. Time is... Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. But anyway, <laughs> Wibbly Wobber. Hey, so today's episode, we are going back to 1997, kind of our return of our dawn of attitude is what I'm calling this little se- sequence of episodes we're doing from this time period. And last time was the very sad, the, the, the kind of the unfortunately boring trip to Madison Square Garden in September 97. Um... But yeah. today, I'm expecting a lot more interesting things to talk about. We are doing the December 15th, 1997 episode of Monday Night Raw. Uh, and I did, I actually, I made notes because I'm covering what's happened in the three months of TV since we started, since we last were here. So I made some notes to keep myself on track. Let's see. So the first kind of major storyline we have to talk about is naturally the WWF Championship. You know, it's the most important title. Let's start with that first. And the major story, the major storyline of uh, this point in time would really be, uh, for most of this, was Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. Um, Shawn Michaels ended up beating The Undertaker at Hell in a Cell, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And he kind of set himself on a collision course with Bret Hart for the title. And, oh my god, I guess I have to talk about it now. I, I, and this is exciting, David. We're going to talk about the most overanalyzed bit of wrestling media ever. We are going... I have to mention the Montreal Screwjob. So. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal of wrestling history. So, uh, overall, uh, basically kind of the backdrop is that... Brett is that... Um, at the time, in 97, you know, WWF is really struggling financially, and WCW is raking in all of the money. This is peak WCW right about now. And Vince McMahon is looking to kind of cut down on some costs, and he looks at Bret Hart, who had, who at the time had an absorbently expensive contract. And he's like, look, we, I can't really afford to pay you and still have a roster right now. Uh, I know WCW's knocking on doors. Um, if you could, uh, you know, can, can I like cut you and you can go, go to WCW. And it was, and it was originally, it was kind of an, 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 an um, uh, it was all on both. Everyone was amicable, am, amic, and yeah, whatever. It was very, it was pretty peaceful. That part anyways, is Brett was like, yeah, okay. You know, but the problem was Bret Hart was the current WWF champion. So obviously we got to have a plan to get the belt off of him. Can't can't have him still be champion <clears throat> after he leaves. So uh, the plan originally was uh, for Bret Hart to lose to Shawn Michaels um, 
at Survivor Series 1997. And uh, this is where the story gets kind of squirrely in that there's a lot of diff- a lot of people, different people have said a lot of different things about how this, about where this part of the story went. And so I'm going to go with what has kind of become the most accepted version of events. Um, Bret Hart initially agrees to, okay, whatever. He doesn't like Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is an arrogant, obnoxious dickhead and a druggie at this point in time that only makes him even worse of a person to deal with. So Bret Hart doesn't like Shawn, but the original, but at first, you know, first pass, Bret's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll lose, whatever. So word gets out to the locker room about this and, and Shawn Michaels hat talks to Bret Hart about it. And he's like, and he, and he goes, uh, let's, let's uh, about, you know, roughly he goes, uh, you know, Brett, you know, thanks for this, you know, really respect the, really respect. Thank you for, for agreeing to drop the title to me. Oh yeah. By the way, if the situations were ever reversed, I would never lose to you. The fuck? He was, yeah. Sean acts like an ass. Sean acts like an asshole a lot. So this pissed off Brett, and Brett changed his mind. That he's like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not, actually, I'm not going to lose to Sean. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, no. Um, and there's a, an addition, and in addition, um, and you also the fact that Survivor Series was in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and uh, Bret Hart is Canadian. It's kind of become part of the lore that really the problem was Bret just didn't want to lose in Canada as a way to kind of make Bret look more like the asshole here. And maybe that might have that might have you know added to his anger a little bit. But at the end of the day, it was because it was Shawn Michaels acting like an asshole. More was really the, why he didn't want to do it. Yeah. I can I can see why Jesus. Oh yeah. Fucking Shawn Michael. Okay. <laughs> no, I get it. But and un, and double problem part as part of Bret Hart's obnoxiously large contract was that for the at very least the end of his run in the company, I don't know if it was for the entire length of the contract, but for the last like 30 days at least, he had creative control. Which is exactly kind of what you think it means. In that, if the writers ever presented Bret Hart with something that he didn't really agree to, he could just be like, "No, I'm. We're not doing that," and get and I he and cha- and he could change it to whatever he wanted. So, without be so Vince is kind of stuck in that if Bret really doesn't want to lose to Shawn Michaels. Brett has has a, has the uh, according to his own con- his own contract he has the right to tell Vince McMahon no to that, and so mm. now Vince McMahon is like, oh God, what am I gonna do? Because his fear was that if if Bret Hart left the company without dropping the championship, Eric uh, WCW would proudly proclaim on air that they had signed the WWF champion. And and so Vince, he had presented, he, you know, he, him and Brett couldn't really agree on a, on a secondary, you know, um, another way to write the title off of him. And so eventually Vince just decided if Brett doesn't want to play ball, we'll just force him to do that. And so what happens is he is that, 
they is that him and him and Brett verbally agree that what's going to happen at the pay per view is that Brett Hart and Shawn Michaels will, um, you know, they will have their match, and eventually um, the Bret Hart's uh, family, the Hart Foundation, they'll interfere in the match. The match will get thrown out, disqualification, end it right there, and then the next night on Raw, Brett will will um, purpose will surrender the title because he's leaving the company. That that is what they were. Uh, that's what they agreed to. But here's but then what happened on the pay per view? Bret Hart was wrestling Shawn, and they do a they do a they do a, a spot where Shawn Michaels puts Bret Hart in Bret's own signature uh, submission maneuver, the 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 sharpshooter. And then suddenly, Vince McMahon runs down, is down, comes down to the timekeeper and yells at him to ring the bell. And 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 the referee tells Brett them to ring the bell, and they do. And the match is declared over as Shawn Michaels the winner, even though Brett never tapped out, and Brett had no idea that they were going to do that. <clears throat> oh shit! Oh no! That's not, not a good idea. No, it was. I mean, Brett quickly figured out what was going on. It that and he started throwing a fit as the pay per view was going off air, including kind of most famously, he spit he hocks the loogie right in Vince's eye. And then when they get oh, back, shit. and then when they get backstage, Bret Hart famously socks Vince McMahon in the face and leaves Vince McMahon with a black eye that you can see on TV for the next couple of weeks. Good. <laughs> and like, yep. Um, Montreal is a extremely well talked about piece of wrestling history. If, if for Noah, because it's this weird Kate is this extremely kayfabe breaking moment for the, even if ever, even if you didn't necessarily understand it at the time. And it's this like, and there's always the, and there's always these wild conspiracy theories about it, specifically about the idea that it was all a, it was all a work that it was all plan that it was all a pre-planned storyline and not, and not, uh, you know, any real life, you know, backstage fuckery going mm -hmm. on. And, and so, and I think part of why it comes to that way is because of how much it kind of works in storyline in that WWE is able to quickly turn it all into their, into a storyline in their favor that works out best for them. Because now, because even if, even if, you know, as much as this was an actual real life shit going on right now, it kind of worked out perfectly for the, for the WWE and that Brett still left. Sean had the title. Um, you know, Shawn Michaels became the most hated, you know, bad guy in the company because of what he, because he cheated Bret Hart. And then more, and kind of most importantly, historically, is this was the birth of Vince McMahon as an evil general manager figure. You know, this is, is he kind of parlayed the fact. Oh, is that like once it started getting out among kind of the rumor mill in the wrestling world, among the wrestling fans that of what really happened in Montreal, you know, obviously people were like, oh, fuck Vince McMahon for, for what he did to Bret Hart. And he was able to, and they were able to parlay that into an on-screen character of the evil corporate overlord that, that everyone believed that's what this comes from. to be. Yes. Vince McMahon's evil, evil owner of the company, you know, persona is born out of the controversy and backlash from the Montreal screw job. Oh, no way. It That's is what, oh my, okay. 
Like, so yeah, like... Rived. It, it's definitely not a fake... The Montreal Screwjob definitely isn't a storyline, because by now, someone would have come out and been like, yeah, it's all storyline, man. But the stories have been consistent for 25, for 24 years, I think. I've, yes, 24 years now. It's not a storyline. But I can, I can understand where people would think it might be. <laughs> in how easily WWE <laughs> would be able to kind of like weave their way through it into their own benefit. And, you know, this was, and, and well, this- it, it reads almost like one of their really convoluted plot scenarios, right? Yeah. Where, uh, where there's like some, ins- like, like, like it, this almost, this, this reads like you can very well, like, this is, uh, um, a new advent for WWE's MO where, mm-hmm. Um, this, this reads like, this, this reads different, this, this reads like a weird love child between something like the, the twin refs we had in the last 80s episode to, um, to the backstage shenanigan politic soap opera whatever's we see going on in the modern day. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this reads, reads like a weird Frankenstein's monster hybrid where it's like super looted, but it, but all predicated on some dumb like backstage drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could under, uh, yeah, I can understand why people might like tinfoil hat this best fake ever pulled off by the WWE writers room. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And you know, this was, this is also the born of the fame Vince McMahon, him, him, uh, solidifying his, his true heel character by, he gave two weeks after it was over. He, he gave an interview on raw that was like, that kind of explained his, his version of events, uh, where he paints Brett as, you know, the, the veteran unwilling to do what needs to be done on the way out of the company and all that. And he says, of course, of course. and he, he says quite firmly, you know, I didn't screw Bret Hart. Bret screwed Bret Hart. And that kind of became like a very famous line. Bret screwed Bret. <clears throat> and, you know, in the, in the month or so since um, the Montreal Screwjob, weirdly enough, they have not really capitalized. I, I almost, it's almost as if they don't quite know what to do. Like, they didn't, they were able to capitalize on it as making Sean a hated character, but they didn't really have like a ready-made story set up for it and well they probably mm-hmm. did but but ba- but uh i have a feeling that you know backs the brett's other family members never really got involved with sean michaels except for sean michaels to make them look like idiots and buffoons and i feel like that was there was some backstage politicky stuff that happened to cause that to be how that came out yeah oh yeah but you know but suddenly that makes sense yeah, but like Sean's first feud as champion is this weird little filler feud with Ken Shamrock, who is basically an MMA badass, and that's kind of his character in WWE too. That he he came from M- MMA, and he's like the world's most dangerous man, and he's a he he's got a he's got <laughs> a hair trigger temper that he could like snap and kill you at any moment, and like. It's kind of, it's just this weird, it's a filler feud and it feels, and it just feel a little weird that like this was the best they came up with as the lead out to all the, as the follow up to all that. But I get it. It's, 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 you know, you gotta, you gotta, they, they were learning their, the ways of the ways of fluffing out their, uh, their stories. (laughs) And so, 
outside of the the Brett and Sean drama, the kind of the next biggest story to talk about is Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Dwayne the Rock Johnson, or at this time just the Rock. <laughs> Oh, over the Intercontinental title. And this is kind of epic in that it is the very first it's kind of the first time these guys will feud, but they'll feud plenty of more times because they these two became two of the biggest stars WWF ever had. And so yeah. kind of ex- oh, huge it's, stars. Defi- it's definitely exciting to kind of watch them kind of interact with each other uh for the first time. And so basically the storyline comes out of a natural progression from a previous storyline. What a novel concept of writing. <laughs> what? Oh my god. <laughs> I know. But then okay, so originally the story for most of the months leading up to where we are now is Owen Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin as part of the uh as it calls back to, you know, at SummerSlam ninety six never seven, Owen Hart accidentally broke Stone Cold's neck in their match against each other for the IC title. And now Owen Hart's kind of like bragging about how much he broke Stone Cold's neck for heel heat. And so Oh no. And so Stone Cold's kind of been on this path of vengeance over it oh, to get the title back and to whoop Owen Hart's ass over this. And so that's where that was going. And kind of a a um a victim in Stone Cold's um quest for revenge was the nation of domination, particularly Farouk, the leader of the group. Because Farouk was trying oh, no. because, because Stone Cold cost Farouk the icy title so that Owen Hart could have it, so he could beat Owen Hart for it. Oh God! Okay, yep, we're 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 roping in all the big memes. Okay, yeah. I see now. Yeah. Okay, so now, so after I see why you had to do so much. Prep. I know. So Stone Cold beats Owen for the title, and it kind of just fades away because. Owen Hart's kind of in a bad spot where, like, after this Bret Hart thing happens, Vince McMahon's not Vince McMahon isn't really super into any of the Hart Hart Foundation at this point, obviously. And so, even though you have this kind of ready-made stories story to kind of build Owen Hart up as kind of almost a, a uh, kind of a replacement for Bret, Shawn Michaels doesn't want to work with Bret with Owen because you know he hates Bret Hart so he hates Owen too and Stone Cold doesn't want to do it doesn't want anything to do with Owen Hart because you know Owen Hart broke his neck so unfortunately (laughs) Owen never really gets to do anything major in any story any major storylines pretty much the rest of his career Because and then and then Owen Hart Owen Hart's the one that the the one that, that died kind of young, right? Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk to oh, I'm sure we'll talk about Owen Hart's death at some point. Um, oh guy. But like, yeah, he's kind he was kind of stuck in a limbo spot because the two biggest stars in the company at the time want nothing to do with him. Well, I can understand why. Um mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of sucks cuz like because cause it's not like, you know, he did anything intentionally, but mm-hmm. he just, you know, did this one thing right. and it just all, it just. Yeah, it all kind of just falls apart. But so it kind of then transitions to Stone Cold ver- Stone Cold's the Intercontinental Champion and the Nation of Domination want the Intercontinental title back. And, you know, and mm-hmm. also going on at the same time is that 
the rock is slowly but surely kind of usurping the nation the nation leader farouk and because spoiler warning the rock is a really charismatic and and person and has a lot of star potential so suddenly he's becoming more and more the focus of this group that he was originally just another lackey of farouk in and as a and as a result farouk his importance is slowly fading away so oh and it is kind of sad just not just because of that but also because once the rock becomes the leader the effective leader of the nation of domination a lot of the racial injustice aspects of that care of that gimmick goes away like it really was only farouk who was carrying that aspect of it all and once the rock becomes the man it's more of like these are just rocks flunkies probably for the best. Kind of. They've already been made to look like morons. This is a bit of a side note to like their kind of their biggest storyline moment of this up to this point. In the build up to the Brett versus Sean match, there's their their the Nation of Domination locker room is assaulted with a lot of TVPG um, you know, um hate crimes. <laughs> like they spray paint all the walls and shit. And uh, and the Heart Foundation is seemingly the ones who did it. And nobody in the nation of domination ever questions, hey, you know what? Do you think it's the ha- Bret Hart? Or do you think it might be Shawn Michaels, this guy, this sophomoric asshole who has a grudge against Bret Hart? Do you think he might have set up Bret here? Do you, do you think that might have been what uh, happened? Nobody questions that. Shawn Michaels is just like, Bret Hart, you are definitely a racist. And the nation is like, Welp, this guy seems trustworthy. <laughs> I agree. Oh, there's there's a lot to unpack there that I really don't want to. Nah. But but regardless of anything else, it made the nation look like complete idiots. That they can't even see how blatantly staged, how blatantly set up Bret Hart was for that. Wow, the 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 black justice group getting written poorly by by white writers in the late nineties, say it ain't so. <laughs> Ooh so yeah, Stone Cold. Stone Cold. Uh, basically, the Rock. Uh, the Rock and Stone Cold have a lot of really entertaining segments with each other, and it all kind of culminates to the last pay per view. Stone Cold beat the Rock for the Intercontinental Title. Except, huh, problem. Stone Cold is still recovering from the fact that he has a broken neck, and right now, spoiler warning, WWE has plans for Stone Cold to become the next WWF champion. So we can't have him messing around with the Intercontinental title. So what he does is he relinquishes the title to The Rock, seemingly out of out of out of the goodness of his heart. Except he's Stone Cold Steve Austin, so he's still kind of fucking with The Rock a little bit, and he's over about it before he moves on. I was gonna say, good goodness of his heart and Stone Cold Steve Austin are two phrases that do not pair well together. No, they don't. So he's still he's still kind of messing with the rock, but you know, it, it's effectively over. He's just getting some last pot shots in before he moves on to bigger and better things. Sure. And so, uh the third big storyline is The Undertaker and Kane. Oh my boy. Well, this is Kane's debut and his very first storyline. 
as I mentioned, we're going to go, we're going, going back to Hell in a Cell, where The Undertaker lost to Shawn Michaels because Kane debuted, ripped the door of the cage off the hinges, and then attacked The Undertaker. Thus costing him the match. All right. So time to go into the t- Undertaker's tragic backstory because this is where all of that stuff oh, goes out into the open. So, the Undertaker has the tragic backstory of when he was he was but a young child, his parents' home burned down, killing his parents and seemingly his brother Kane. And so he was taken in by the family friend Paul Bearer. Paul Bearer. Yes, I get the joke. He runs a funeral parlor. His name is Paul Barrett. He he debuted in the early 90s. So did the un- him and the yep. Undertaker debuted in the early 90s, and you can tell. Yeah, we've talked about Paul Bearer before. Yeah. So, but this storyline was haha, but a twist. Kane is in fact alive. He survived. He survived the the family fire, and he was also saved by Paul Bearer. And Paul Bearer has been secretly taking care of Kane and raising him, uh, you know, on the side from when he was raising the Undertaker. Uh, okay. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to question it. I like Kane. I'm not. I, I'm not really... going to start cinema sensing his backstory. Don't worry, they they've retconned parts of this like his entire career. It's fine. This is just the this is the original <laughs> backstory. So wow, WWE retconning random supernatural makes absolutely no sense to more shit that makes absolutely no sense. What a shock! This this, this is- whole episode is just is just completely throwing me for loops here. So yeah, so basically, Kane wants revenge on the Undertaker for you know. Burn, ac- even though he was a kid, he accident and it was an accident. He burned down their their parents' house and killed them. He wants a revenge, and the Undertaker, but the Undertaker doesn't want to do it. The Undertaker is treating it like you're my blood, Kane. Our parents wouldn't want us to fight, so he doesn't want to fight Kane. A weirdly level-headed turn for the Undertaker. Mm-hmm. So Kane's reaction to this has been, uh, let's see, checks notes, beating up jobbers to interrupt the show, and somehow this will convince the Undertaker to fight him. Yeah, I don't really get it either. It's just kind of an excuse to, you know, introduce Kane as a monster, but it's a very weird character choice. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense that Kane that this would work. You on know, the I was gonna make a comment about about how about how it could be really how, how how I'm interested to see a period of time where like Kane could actually be taken pretty seriously as a character, like this, a this like is a, it. This, a legitimate this, this, presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I guess not if he's if he's just sitting there beating up jobbers the whole time. I mean, this is absolutely when he's cani- one of his canonically most dangerous points, and eventually, and they are build, and they are building to an eventual match between Undertaker and Kane. And at that point, Kane will be a little more physical with the Undertaker. But in the meantime, this is just kind of an excuse to get Kane over as like a monster who cannot be stopped, <laughs> just with a very yeah, no. It- it just has a very it just is kind of a, a weak in character justification for why he's doing it. <clears throat> I mean, 
I mean, look, as long as he can play well, I guess I, I guess it's still like it's still, you know, getting the point across. It's just it's just mm-hmm. funny to me because like for as much as we talk about for as much as Kane has talked about as, you know, this this grand supernatural scary heel, everything I've seen him in so far, he's either been unremarkable or just like kind of a fun, funny, silly character uh, is, I, who I love and he's my baby. That is kind of admittedly where he and, 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 and here after, after fifteen years, this is ba- that is basically where he showed up, where he wound up. And like, and like here, they're try- they're clearly trying to play it like no pun intended, dead straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there comes a, po- I'm sure there, I'm sure there are definitely points in this where like, where he does come across really effectively and really intimidating. But like mm-hmm. immediately as soon as he said, yeah, he's just beating up random jobbers. I'm like, oh. Oh, this is that version of of scary and intimidating. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, eh, sure. Yeah, whatever. All right. So, uh, point four: the tag team title switcheroos is what I wrote here in my notes for it because we have seen three different in the three months that we have that I in the since we last watched there have been three different title changes in the tag team title scene. Nobody's holding on to those belts for long, pal. So. As an ish, ever as a, as a reminder, initially the tag team champions were the Headbangers, a bunch of heart, head, a bunch of you know Vince McMahon's idea of, of of punk rockers, of punk rock fans. You mean the uh, anything but Headbangers? They do ev- they do everything but actually headbang. Yes. <clears throat> God, remind me of that's a thing that that that's a joke from something, but I can't remember what it is. So they are any any thing. any of you who are listening, please. Please email us the answer because because hey. that's a gag from somewhere. But <laughs> all right, so they they were the champions, and then they were defeated by the Godwins, the Pig Farmers, Henry Henry O and Phineas I. So, yep. So uh, for a few weeks they were the champions, and then uh, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk, they they they're showing up now. And you know we had we had them on the last episode, and I mentioned that a lot of their story right now is them is it being like, are these guys too old for this new generation to hang? And they do this whole story. They whole they do a whole episode long arc of like if the Legion of Doom don't beat the t- the Godwins for the tag team titles, they will retire. Obviously, they did in fact not retire on that episode, and in fact mm. won the titles. So that so that's what they did there. And oh yeah, it's, I wrote um pig farmers turn on manager like I care. Yeah. They they did do that, and so the LOD were champions for a little bit, and then came the New Age Outlaws. Uh, the New Age Outlaws are Road Dog, the Road Dog Jesse James and Billy Gunn, and they kind of came together, um, kind of at random. You know, they were originally individually the flunkies of two different music based gimmicks. Um, the road dog was the roadie for, uh, Jeff Jarrett, who was a country singer. And we'll definitely see Jeff Jarrett when we go to 1994. I'm quite confident of that. <clears throat> and then, and Billy Gunn was the flunky for the honky tonk man who made a short, brief comeback in 97. And he was gone soon after, but he was the rockabilly. Good. Get him out of here. <laughs> 
And so they just kind of threw them together, and they kind of let Road Dog just kind of say whatever he wants. He basically, they're get, Road Dog in particular. Their his character is kind of like '90s culture, and inside it's kind of hard to explain. It works real. It actually works really well, but it's hard to explain what his character is without just seeing it. But he he was very in tune with '90s pop culture at the time, and he made a lot of jokes and insults based on that. And that's and that's what people liked. And okay. Billy Gunn became Mr. Ass. Uh, Mr. Ass Billy Gunn, you know, he likes kicking butts and he likes grabbing butts. It's a very, it's very subtle, very, very hard, very hard to com, very complex, very hard to follow. Thanks. Thanks, WWE. Very cool. Mr. A- Bill at Mr. Bill ass gun over here. And so they beat, they, they beat the LOD for the tag titles using some chicanery. And so the LOD are out for revenge. And that's basically where that's at right now. And that is relevant to this episode. As a matter of fact, hmm. Hmm. let's see my fifth bullet point here. So about Goldust and Brian Pillman. Yeah, I guess I have to talk. Because one of the more controversial storylines, yeah. So one of the more controversial storylines from last time was the was Brian Pillman's whole "I stole Goldust's wife and implicitly raped her." Um, <laughs> that was all about to come to a head, as a matter of as as a matter of fact. And um, I didn't know this before, for, but from kind of reading, uh, you know, reading ups a little bit on the story and, and in the build up to this is that they were actually going to reveal that, haha, Marlena was actually in on the plot the whole time, basically make it. So it actually was not rape because she was totally, she was actually, it was all a, a scheme. I get to what? Just, yeah. I would I would go deeper into that, but it doesn't really matter because unfortunately, before we could get to that, Brian Pillman passed away uh, in late September of '97, um, the day of the pay of a pay per view. As a matter of fact, um, he had a sudden heart attack at his uh, and died. Um, it was uh, it was said that it was based off of, it was because of a um uh, heart condition of a uh, you know un, un, then unknown heart condition that kind of genetic heart condition in his family. And I, I didn't intend to talk about a wrestler dying young for two episodes in a row, but I I, it's hard to you kind of have to kind of in this situation you kind of have to mention why so, Goldust and Brian Pillman just suddenly stops. <laughs> yeah. So, for a few weeks, I mean, kinda... uh, look, look, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's kind of this is just kind of like an unavoidable theme to all this. If, yeah. If we're gonna have a podcast about wrestling, it's um, we're just gonna have to talk about a frankly slightly uncomfortable uh, uh, frequency of times. Yeah. And so, for a few weeks, they just kind of put Goldust and Marlena back together, and we kind of just pretend it didn't happen. The whole thing didn't happen. Until uh, Goldust and Marlena have it do an interview segment, and Goldust reveals that you know he 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 re- that while Marlena was away, he realized that he actually doesn't really love his wife anymore, and so like he leaves her as a in a in a in kind of a, a wild twist on what was going to happen. He he leaves her and 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 like. 
and their family behind. And, oh boy, what does he do then? He hooks up with a uh, Luna Vachon, who's kind of a wrestling legendary manager in her own right. And suddenly, the we have the artist formerly known as Goldust. That is not the only oh, Prince joke oh. to do that naming. <laughs> that is not the only wrestler to make that kind of Prince joke on their name. So the artist formerly known as Goldust is basically... What if we go back to, you know, you know, originally Goldust character was was, you know, gay panic as a heel. Like what if we go back to that same energy yeah. but instead of it being a, instead of it being like he's gay, he's just really kinky about and, and and in public. Like he starts coming out in BDSM oh, here all oh. the time now. He's got a collar, he's got a ball gag, he's got cone breasts, he's got a cone bra. Shit gets weird. And that is this is this is absolutely in my mind the most uncomfortable Goldust ever gets in his career. Wait, hold on. He's mad. First of all, they made him a sub, which like surprises me. Hey. Yeah, but they basically max out on like we're going to make you uh, dislike Goldust by making you so uncomfortable you just want him to go away. <laughs> I, I, uh, okay, okay, well that makes sense then why they made him a sub, but like, that's mm -hmm. so weird, dude, like, like, why that turn? I don't, uh, what do they, what do they have against poor, like, Dustin Rhodes over here? <laughs> Jesus. I don't know, man. It's it is wild though. That's all I can say. God, I'm so I'm so glad he got like a new advent in AEW. Thank hey. Christ. Oh, that poor dude. After after that after poor this... dude and so poorly. Honestly, uh, uh, he's he's got he's got this period of time. Then he has one more uncomfortably offensive gimmick in in him, and then after that, his career in like WWE and AEW is not weird. <laughs> it doesn't get that weird. He he pretends. How many? How how many? He pretends to have a. De he has a debilitate. He develops a debilitating stutter. That's that's the uh, the last one he gets in the early two thousands. What? What? Oh God. The, okay. Jesus. Okay. It's cool. The, well, it's actually not a debilitating Gold stutter. Is not a good example. It's more of like what you know, like um. Okay, you know the episode of South Park where um uh Eric Cartman pretends to have a verbal tick. I forget the term oh uh la petite la petite tourette yeah yeah prince f tourette's yeah it's like that it's actually very it's basically that he basically <laughs> is uh, what gold dust does wait so they they literally just do la petite tourette okay cool yeah except it's not played as if he's clearly faking it they're played as if he actually has tourette's and not clearly faking that he has tourette's. why why and then it just goes away and then it just goes away once they get shit for it from real-life activism groups who are like, this is offensive, you know? <laughs> yeah, wow, what a shock. Jesus. Okay, well, cool. So Dust, so, so Dustin Rhodes continues to be, be continue, like, their, their, like, blank slate for offensive stereotyping. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's what's going on with Goldust right now. Uh, let's see. Uh... Hey, now we have a new championship, the light heavyweight championship. Um, let me check my notes. Update. The division has two people in it. 
I'm not kidding, basically. Is they, they, um. they Okay, so the light heavyweight championship is what it sounds like. You know, it's a division meant for people who weigh less than 200. I believe it's 215 pounds is what the weight limit is. Um, and it was kind of, uh, it was supposed to kind of be an answer to uh, WCW's cruiserweight division which was one of their more critically acclaimed kind of uh, innovations they did, where they basically just brought in a bunch of really talented wrestlers from Mexico and Japan and just let them go wild and do whatever they want. That's where Rey Mysterio comes from, as a matter of fact. Is that, is that, is doing that. Hmm. But, so WWE's like, fuck, we gotta do that too. But they're not really committed to it. So the only so the only two consistent members of the whole division there are are Takamichinoku, who is the babyface champion. He, he he's kind of a you know he's an everyman good guy, to goody two shoes, and uh, the the heel Brian Christopher, who his shtick is he's a one he's obnoxious, and two he is the ch- he is the actual in real life son of Jerry Lawler, and they but they don't but Jerry Lawler doesn't seem to want to be open about that. Like, everybody knows that it's Jerry Lawler's son, but Jerry Lawler vehemently denies it and then blatantly cheers for Brian Christopher whenever possible. <laughs> what? No, it's kind of weird. What? That's, oh God. I, I, the, why, why does this company have such like a weird neurosis about like family ties? I mean, I think this is all part of, you know, the Vince Russo special of, like, we gotta pull back the curtain, bro! Yeah, but, like, but like it. this is still in the same... I mean, I mean, we have the Kane thing going on, we have... Yeah, same this time is the same company that, that, made, that made poor... Yeah, this is the same company that made poor Rey Mysterio wrestle sons... Uh, for for his for his son's adoption papers, this is the same company that made v- Vince McMahon beat up his supposed illegitimate son Horns. Like, oh, what you know the that. hell is wrong with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm pretty sure this is in the John Oliver segment about WWE. But yeah, no, this neurosis about family ties, and we get a nice little. Sounds like we're getting a nice little double whammy of this in this episode. So, uh, mm-hmm. sure, let's go. I'm yeah. ready. <laughs> All right, so this one, I don't know if it comes up in this episode, but it is a, a relatively important story going on right now, is uh, Mark Marrow and the tragic case of having a hot wife, is what I wrote. So, <laughs> so Mark Marrow is a wrestler, and his gimmick is that he's like a, a real serious boxer, kickboxer type, He, you know. And he can beat up all these stupid wrestlers. Uh, Oh, but unfortunately, he brings his wife Sable to the ring. And uh, Sable is really attractive. And a lot of people like looking at Sable because she is attractive. And Mark Marrow is unhappy about the fact that other people like looking at his wife, at his attractive wife. And so he kind of ends up just looking like an idiot. So he spends a lot of time trying to, like, force his wife to look ugly. So that people will stop, you know, trying to, like, try, trying to look at her. And it fails, and he looks like an idiot. He looks like a boob. And then, and it all ends with him, with his wife realizing, hey, I'm hot. It's okay that I'm hot, you asshole. And then she kicks, and then she beats him in a match. <coughs> or two. I forget so how like, many. So, like, so, so what I'm hearing is, 
So, so what I'm hearing is that Vince Russo like saw the Randy Savage Elizabeth like dynamic and was like, "Hey, fun. What if we made it even dumber and weirder? <laughs> what if and we about ended- ten times more toxic? What if, what if what if what if Elizabeth had stepped in the ring with Randy? Is I guess where this could have gone, where this is the end point of this of this bit, isn't it? My 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 AU uh, <laughs> fan fiction. Yes. Unfortunately, Sable's a really terrible performer outside of being hot. So you know, it's not like it was any good. It's not like it's not like a lot God, of her stories uh... were good or anything. But you know. A for effort, I guess. Even if, even if again, this this kind sure. of was the this is basically how Mark Mara's career as a wrestler to be taken seriously was about killed off. Was this whole storyline? Sure. And uh, all right, uh, last little bit, quick update. Our good old fashioned gang wars uh, update. I mean, it's technically still happening, but it's kind of fading out by now. Think. So, I, I'm sad that as much as I talk up this whole race-based gang war thing, that, w- that f- for just so happened the episodes we've watched have not, in fact, had a lot, featured a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, good. I don't... Uh, it's so it's so icky. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all still around, I guess, and I've still had to sit through matches involved with them. But their importance to the to the overall episode stories is just only going downhill. They're only getting featured less and less and less. I mean, I, I mean, I mean. To be fair, with like, if if the Nation of Domination has like the Rock ascending as the leader and getting rid of a lot of their political overtones, I guess it only makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. That that covers uh, three months of WWE TV, or as important as important as we can get it. Okay. But all right, let let's get a move. Let's get it going on, and we'll see you guys in the back half. Ah. And we are back, and and you know I gotta say I kind of tempted fate last time. In the first half, I was like, "Hey guys, it's it's been almost two weeks since we've we've recorded, and yet we haven't missed a single uh, release date." Uh, and here we are recording the back half due to some technical issues and some unforeseen circumstances. Here we are recording the back half of this over a week later. Uh, <laughs> it happens, right? <laughs> yep. Good job. Good job, me, for saying it. But anyway, uh, we have just finished watching uh, the uh, crap. Our December fifteenth episode, uh, nineteen ninety-seven episode of Monday Night Raw. Yep, a uh, week for the Christmas episode, apparently. Uh, yeah, next week is next week on this is the Christmas episode. We just missed it. I'm pretty sure Shawn Michaels and Triple H show their ass live on camera. <laughs> Oh, what a power move that would be! If if that's what happened, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I'm kind of not sad we missed that. Yeah, me neither. I'm good with I'm good with uh, I'm good with not having seen it. Yeah. Um. Where I just I guess we should probably start this show with why I uh, picked it as part of our the dawn the dawn of attitude as I as I have called it. Which I mm-hmm. just finished picking out our fifth episode for that. 
I'm excited. Oh shit! Oh, it's a whole. We this is a terrible mini series. I have a whole five episode arc to this, but anyway, <laughs> this, this that's what I try to do, Dave. I try to plan these out as best I can in five episodes. You know. Well, you know, it's 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 uh it's it's a nice round number. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, I, I appreciate the, I appreciate the dedication that goes into it. Yeah. So last time and last time, and I'm kind of going with more iconic moments of the attitude era, at least the early part of it. And I think, and this is definitely one of the more iconic, well, there's two on this episode, but the one I was thinking of was the cure for the common show. Yes. That was, that was, that was really interesting Mm because, because, you know, this is, this was, this was Austin hyped this up to me as like the death of kayfabe, um, and, and it would was. You, would you, yeah, I was like, would you agree with me on that? I know, I, I, I would, but as I remarked to you while we were watching, it was done in this very bizarrely low key way because when I imagine WWE and the death of kayfabe, this concept that has been, uh, that has been fiercely, jealously protected. Um, since the dawn of like professional wrestling itself as a, as an entertainment form, um, and especially within the confines of this company as run by Vince McMahon, I think of something. I think of some crazy shit. I think of either some like big explosive event, or I think of a big explosive event that's either scripted or unscripted, uh, in which uh, some crazy shit happens that's like legitimately unforeseen by anyone that basically forces them uh live on air to kill kayfabe in its tracks or uh something explosive that 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 drops like this little um in uh uh what's the word i'm looking for this little like unavoidable uh nugget that what you see all around A you little nugget? Age. well yeah <laughs> okay we'll get to that later uh uh um <laughs> uh, but instead no it's vince mcmahon in a suit appearing in front of appearing presumably pre-recorded in front of like a canvas backdrop mm-hmm. um basically just delivering what almost sounds like a as i as i kind of put it like a like a um a backer's pitch um in which he basically says like hey we tell fictional stories welcome to our weird wacky world he actually says those words he does uh, which i thought was such a weird thing for him to say mm-hmm. um uh but yes i am i I, I, yeah, kayfabe is dead. Long live kayfabe. Um, yeah, like I, it was just like so. It was just done like like. Oh, oh, okay, okay. This is how we're doing it. Sh- sure, that's so random, and I get why because mm-hmm. after the after the screw job, like we have to at this point. But but what? Yeah, and I'd almost argue that like if you're looking for an explosive event that kind of has screwed everything up at this point, arguably the Montreal screw job fits that description. Yeah but yeah it's this it's this very weird like conference like investors call <laughs> yeah where he's he where he he talks about he talks he he talks about like we call ourselves sports entertainment but the emphasis is on entertainment yeah and he explicitly he talks about creative direction as a thing and he explicitly compares what wwe does to days of our lives and seinfeld and it's like those are blatantly scripted television shows and you're saying that you're basically the same thing as those and it's and that is definitely very weird to just see them acknowledge just on air like oh yeah 
we're a scripted TV show. And 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 within the within the storyline of the day, apropos of nothing. Again, we know yeah. why. Uh, we know we know like out out of story, like what's going on, but like in story, it just kind of like pops up. Yeah, it has no connection to any storyline, and it never will. Like this is this just ha- they just do this this one episode of Raw, and that's it. Yeah, they seriously. Don't, they don't. It doesn't really have any meaning to any larger storylines. He just drops this in here, and and I think also the bigger kind of the bigger takeaway is I think especially among like the fans who we already know it's fake anyway, so I guess it's not. At, and there are other big moments in time about in this era that we've already talked about. Yeah, this kind of thing. But like the thing that everyone kind of remembers this this more for is kind of the other half of the speech, where after he makes the comparisons uh, like that, he's like, you know, we, he says, "We think that our fans are tired of having their intelligence insulted, and that the days of good guys and versus bad guys is oh is, is passe." I know, and and like, and and just hearing some of these like words come out of his mouth feels so like feels so out of place because like this is the most eloquently I've ever heard this man speak. <laughs> and again, it's it's it, again, it feels like Vince in business mode, which is such a thing you're not. It's it's the exact opposite of what you're used to seeing at any era of Vince McMahon. Like the the closest we have to that is like you know back when he was on screen just an announcer and a but pretty even then he was, one at that. But even then he was this very bombastic character because I think that's what he thought he needed to do. He yeah. was like, Welcome everyone to WWF. Yeah. Like he's this very like not that exaggerated. He's he would he wouldn't exaggerate that way of speaking until he until he kind of goes full force into being the evil uh owner of the company on screen but yeah like he has this he has this very exaggerated way of talking and speaking and that's the same thing but whatever he has this very exaggerated emotion and then but then here he's just like talking he's like yeah it is like he's like in like real world business mode something how he would talk to you know to people who are doing investor or, or what, or a business partner or something like that. It's very weird to see this on screen. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just this, it's so like out of left field, uh, that, that mm-hmm. I was like, it's, it's, there's, there's just something about it that I was, I was like, Oh, this is like everything about it felt so out of place, which maybe in a way is kind of the perfect way to kill kayfabe of just completely mm-hmm. take everything out of its element. Um, but that's, it's so like, it's so off brand, which on one hand, I guess is the point, but it's, it's so weird to see the WWE just like go normal. It's, it's like the fucking like episode of SpongeBob where he's normal. <laughs> Hi, how are you? It's like that. <laughs> it's, 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 it's WWE does normal SpongeBob. I don't get it. No, yeah, it's 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 so uh, it's it's very bizarre, and uh, oh, and by the way, is that that um I can guarantee you that whenever WWE does something stupid, you know the fans love to bring up that you know we're tired of we think our fans are tired of having their intelligence insulted. They like, like okay, back really, yeah, like, okay, dude, <laughs> okay, like well because 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 too like like. In this episode, same episode, we have the fucking Sultan. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, which, which, okay. On one hand, I get it because it's a that that's like a much more like 
um uh, uh implicit way of of insulting the fans intelligence a, a lot less like uh yeah. a lot less like outwardly stated that's more like we know you guys are too stupid to understand like that racial stereotyping is offensive and that mm-hmm. this is like pretty inaccurate anyway and also like mm-hmm. what the fuck um that so it, it it's 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 almost like it it I don't even know like what they were trying to go for other than like to regain some brownie points after the Montreal screw job. Uh just kind of like, okay, cool. Thanks, Vince. Everybody yeah, I, this. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't I don't really know what the point of of why he, he did it this way. Um it's 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 just kind of been known as almost the uh, like this is def one of those points that people consider kind of the birth of the attitude era like the start like when I talked about when we started when we did our last episode on this like depending on who you ask when does the attitude era start a lot of people will say this promo is where it starts sure when, when he explicitly says that the days of good guys versus bad guys is over okay I guess so like who. Who wrote this? Did like Vince Russo write this? That probably. Okay. Which, if it if it was him behind if it was him behind this, I guess it kind of makes sense, right? Because um, he was so obsessed with taking everything and flipping it on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be um, um, something like um, whether that be something like you know just just taking the WWF to 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 gritty realism or. Mm-hmm. Um, or being so like not 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 or you know nudge nudge wink wink about about this isn't in the script or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see him pulling this as one. Um, we are going to um make this less of a straight up morality play and make it more about grim, dark, whatever. And so I want to pre warn you idiots because if I if I just do that out of nowhere, all you dumb fucks will get confused and not like our show anymore. So mm-hmm. we got to tell you first, which again, we don't want to insult your intelligence anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. But, and, and, and also I, I, I almost have to wonder if this was like a precautionary thing of like Vince Russo knowing that he was going to pull some kind of crazy shit during, mm-hmm. during the attitude era, some like kind of borderline taboo, pushing the envelope stuff that he kind of needed to preface this with, Hey guys, remember this is all fake. Um, don't, don't sue us or anything. Like I, I, I could, have to wonder if it was like a precautionary measure. I could see that as a, as a conversation across the, the, across the WWE creative team at this point in time, which would have included Vince Russo, um, Vince McMahon. I, it's not worth really going through all the names. Yeah. They, had a, they, had a, they had multiple people in charge here uh, were kind of involved. And I could see that being the kind of thing that the kind of discussion they had, yeah, no, because because Vince, you know, Vince the, Russo the, the, was kind of the main man because he was the one pushing the vision that Vince McMahon wanted. Like Vince McMahon was all aboard Vince Russo's idea train, so he was kind of the main man. But there were other people involved, writing involved here too. Yeah, no, well, because because uh, the 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 other thing too is like you know this is post uh, this is this is post uh, steroid gate and everything. Where we're in court, McMahon had to be like, "It's all a show. It's all a show. It's all fake. I swear to God. Please don't. Please don't take away my money. I promise you." <laughs> and also, and, all, and also um, when he fought uh, to be deregulated as a business from the state athletic commissions, he was also he also did the same plea of like, uh, "This is fake, so I shouldn't have to listen to the state athletic commissions." Yeah, exactly. So, so that that I 
I could just see this as a number of ways of them, like, covering their asses. I just didn't think it would be so blatantly like, this is us covering our asses. <laughs> like, I figured that's what Death of Kayfabe would be. I just didn't think they would make it so obvious. Once again, we know you're tired of us <laughs> insulting your intelligence. Yeah. Okay, Vince. Yeah, no, it was, it was, this is still kind of one of the more, maybe one of the more surreal things that's ever, that's ever made air <laughs> yeah. for how, for how much it doesn't, me it doesn't equate, it doesn't connect with anything. <laughs> it, it just nothing. It, it, it's so, but, but like, it was cool to see like this. I, I will say like, as much as I'm kind of dunking mm. on it here, it was cool to get to see like this, this landmark in the history of this company of them turning to the camera and saying this is all a play officially like we're not going to pretend it was like it was like a small glimmer into the actual reality here yeah i know all of a sudden the mass delusion wears off for about two minutes while vince mcmahon rambles at the camera in a suit uh and 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 then everyone's like oh okay that was fun are we gonna get back to like fighting now uh Can we get back to wrestling, please? Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean, sure. Although the funny thing about that is there's like nothing in this episode outside of that. And again, I know I kind of said this earlier with everyone, but I just kind of like harp on like there's nothing in this episode that like necessitates this. Just just for our audience's benefit, I want to point this out of like all of the all of like the big things we see in this episode are within us. OK, aside from like starting off with fucking Kane and Undertaker being supernatural entities. There is nothing in this that, that like necessitates saying like, Hey, if you weirdos are wondering why this is so like, you know, off the wall, not grounded, here's why. Uh, yeah. But it, like, like, it's just so normal. Like the big, the, the next biggest thing we have happen in this episode is, is what the, the, the title belt getting chucked into the river. Yeah. It's right. not like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's so grounded in its presentation. It's, it it just cracks me up on so many levels that like this was when they decided to drop this in. Yeah, this is uh, honest. This is one of the more like grounded in react gritty react in the gritty reality era of of wrestling. This is when they're like, oh yeah, this is all fake. Not during like the cartoony eighties. Yeah, although although what's what was really interesting about this episode too is I appreciate it. I appreciate kind of how subdued it was. Like, I know this is, like, you know, relatively earlier Vince Russo. Like, you know, this is before the Attitude Era really kicked off. But, like, there wasn't a whole lot of um, particularly gruesome things in here. Um, it was all pretty chill. It almost yeah, we felt un- like... We unfortunately, we unfortunately miss Goldust in BDSM gear. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sad to be missing that. I'm, I'm, I, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll get him next time. I'm sure we will... But I, I, I just kind of want to live in my little delusion where like the 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 Rhodes brothers are 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 enjoying their like complete dignity on AEW and that's the entirety of their career. Um, uh, um, no, but but I I did kind of appreciate how kind of subdued this episode was um, because it was it, it felt very much like a, a nice little parade of of pretty standard proceedings but nothing that was 
inherently boring. There was there was always something at least a little bit interesting to most of the things that were going on in this episode. Yeah, and I feel um, I feel like we talked about last time, like everything feeling like it's not going anywhere. This episode I felt like had a little more in terms of like plot progressions. And and some nice setups too. I mean, the mm-hmm. big one is like we see like this was Mark Henry's first ever episode, and it was it was it's kind of fun. I, I know I know you didn't do this on purpose because it just mm-hmm. happened to show up and 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 cure for the common show. Yeah, but uh, it was it was kind of cool that like you know the very first episode we did of this was was Mark Henry's quote unquote retirement, and although not actually retirement, but it's, it was like kind of this big showcase for him. And now that I've gotten a decent amount of experiences in uh, in this world, and now that I kind of have a better sense of of everything that's going on, and I've been more mm-hmm. uh, uh, brought into the fold on all these different eras, kind of seeing his very start, it's kind of like, oh, that's him. That's yeah. really cool. I have an appreciation of who this man is now. Uh, which kind of makes seeing his debut a lot of fun because we've seen him pop up a couple times. Um, we have stuff like that, or we have uh, the whole uh, I can't remember, I can't remember his name, but the the dude who's really jealous about his wife who's not. Really oh yeah, so well, we had to see Mark Marrow a little bit. Yeah, Mark Marrow kicking kicking some ass. Which, in the most random of circumstances, it was Randy versus versus uh, Tom, uh, the, Brandy, Tom Brandy, Brandy versus the Sultan. It was Tom Brandy versus the Sultan, just kind of like this out of nowhere match. And I kind of questioned to Austin why we were like, like why this was here. Okay. And as I was saying that, motherfucker comes running in and yeets Brandy for like for fucking him with him the previous week. Yeah. Okay. I I want to point this out. Like, there stuff happened in this episode, and like. I under I've talked about before and I understand that Vince Russo is very much of this mindset that like wrestling matches aren't super important. But Jesus Christ, the matches this week mm. are like the most bottom tier things that happened. Like, yeah, I, seriously. I pulled up the list of the matches that happened. Um uh Takamishinoku versus Jerry Lawler is probably the most not the second most significant third. But yeah, that happens. Uh Dude Love versus the Road Dog and the I would say that one's an important, but the more important thing that happens with the Outlaws is in the main event. Uh Mark mm. Henry versus the Brooklyn Brawler, Tom Brandy versus the Sultan, Steve Blackman versus Jose Estrada, and then LOB versus D versus D Generation X. Like none of the matches are important. Everything important happens outside of those. <laughs> yeah. But but like they weren't I I didn't like they weren't the I didn't worst feel things like, to watch. Yeah, I didn't feel like an act of drudgery like I have some of the stuff we watched in the past. Mm-hmm. It, it it felt almost like a shadow of what the modern era would become. Like we're on the cusp mm-hmm. of the attitude era where things are gonna get kind of weird for a little bit. Um but for right now, we're kind of in this very standard territory um, that it's it's like none of it's like spectacular. The the most the the kind of best one um, uh, that we saw, I th- I and I think you'll agree with me on this. I think kind of the best match we saw of this whole episode was the was the Takamishinoku. Uh, I would episode. agree, yeah, because Takamishinoku is is flying right now. Is he is he is he's way ahead of the game in terms of what they got in the WWF in terms of athleticism. Yeah, and, and that was purely one sided in terms of like in terms of like his his just athletic ability that he's showing off. Yeah, and, and Jerry and Jerry Lawler, if nothing else, is an expert at like playing an asshole as a wrestler. Yeah, so, he, so at least he he could make Mishinoku look like a sympathetic character. From his yeah, end. yeah. It, 
which I will say it was it felt really nice to watch Jerry Lawler's ass get handed to him by a very by an extremely talented person of color. <laughs> <laughs> like 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 I think I told you when we were watching it like it's a good thing Lawler's not on commentary because then this avoids a lot of the uncomfortable race jokes. Yes, the Takamishi Oku match. That's what's so satisfying about it is instead of running his mouth, he's getting his ass whooped. Um, it's so, so we don't, uh, so, so the, so, you know, the obligatory small penis joke doesn't get inserted or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it, it was, that, that, that was probably the most fun one just because Lawler is such a cartoony, like heel and, and Taka Mishinoku is this in, again, as I think you put it well saying ahead of his time, uh, the, the, the level of talent, uh, the level of sheer athleticism uh, and impressive displays he 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 puts forth in the ring is is simply astounding to watch and i really got a kick out of that one mm-hmm. uh other than that like it was all just pretty standard stuff it just felt like a nice like kind of little sampler plate of all these different things that were happening in the 90s whether that be you know the nation of domination going and taking out a life of their own post race war uh the the birth of this uh, you know the the tied into that the subsequent birth of 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 the rock's career like really launching which i i do kind of want to touch on that too because i remember like even though we watched this part of the episode like a week ago i do remember like pointing out to you the um the 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 what the 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 that the rock has about him mm-hmm. um that made it instantly apparent to me like why this guy ascended so quickly because, like, you know, obviously this day and age, people hear, you know, Dwayne Johnson and everyone's like, oh, yeah, no, he's great. He's, he's yeah. in a lot of stuff and he's a lot of fun to watch and everything he's in, you know. He's a he's good never guy. Like, he's, you he's, know. Yeah, yeah. He's never like, he's never like, you know, going to be in the Royal Shakespeare Company or anything. But he's, he's certainly, he certainly is a very entertaining figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cool to see kind of like in the infancy of his career that he's kind of just always been like that. Like, there's just this certain, he, I don't even know what it is about him. He has this quality that, that exudes star power. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I kind of want to, I kind of want to like make this distinction because it's something I was saying kind of about Brody Lee last week, uh, or last time, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, um, in that it's not, it, it manifests in a very different way. It's this, because it's this very like poppy charisma he has about him. And I don't even know what, what he harnesses, but there's this like extra effortless bit of energy to it. That mm-hmm. makes it seem like he was just born to be a superstar, uh, and and it's cool. It's cool to see that. And so his bits in this were fun, especially you know Stone Cold Steve Austin yeeting his title over the river, and him yeah, that just, was... like standing there like like that's my title. Yeah, and I want to say that one of one of the like smaller details that The Rock immediately nailed as a character was his was the eyes. As I yes. hate, to, hate to tie this back into Brody Lee from last week. No, but yes, I, I agree. He, Rock has absolutely, even at the, even being, he's, he's uh, 97. He's probably been a wrestler for uh, two years at most at this point from when he started. And he already has this absolute mastery of having these like over the top facial expressions that, Mm. that clearly get him, that are extremely entertaining and get him across as like how offended he is by everything that happens to him. Yeah, well, it's it's the eyes, and it's also the eyebrows. Oh, his I, eyebrow. His yeah, the, the the way he yeah, I, that that eyebrow thing he does in his movies. He okay, folks. Turns out he's just always been like that, mm-hmm. um, which is really entertaining. And also, 
Um, I think really, uh, uh, I think that was kind of a lot of the genesis qua for me because I, it's such a weird comparison to make, but the way he moves, like there's a certain like pristine polish to how he looks and this very kind of sharpness to how he moves. It's almost like he's a fucking like Disney animatronic or something though. Like, like there's something about him that's almost uncanny Valley because it's it feels flawless. It feels like this is a this is a person who like does not stumble in his movements or just and just naturally looks like a looks like this polished skin human being. Um and it's so funny to think that like he got his start as Rocky Maivia in the Nation of Domination, uh where he's carrying around a fanny pack of all things. Like it's this weird mishmash, but it's so mm-hmm. cool to know that he's going to kind of come into his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, eventually down the line, and it and and again, just that star power is evident from the beginning. Yeah, and I think and I think that polish to him plays off really well to uh, against a Stone Cold Steve Austin, who most certainly is not polished, not remotely. No, no, uh, who, who's who's mumbling uh, as he's as he's giving that promo about about how he's like, I don't, you, you I'm, yeah, you can you can. You can go in the river and get it. I don't give a damn about you or the WWF. Like no. it's it's so they're they're so diametrically opposed world, which is funny because like you know in some ways Stone Cold for a while was kind of like the the antihero and and the Rock was kind of part of the villain. So seeing them kind of uh, take on mismatched aesthetics to to what they were kind of born as is is kind of an interesting thing to watch mm-hmm. too. But yeah, the. Obviously, the big one of the big iconic moments of this episode was, as we've mentioned it before, but like the story goes is that the pre is that like the as I said this that that Steve Austin gave The Rock the Intercontinental Title because in out of out because Meta, you know, um, his neck was still pretty fucked up, and they're like, <laughs> well, we can keep we can have him still doing stuff with The Rock for the Intercontinental Title, or we can preserve his health for when because we want him to be the wwe champion very soon so and so they were like okay what we're going to do is he's going to give up the title and move on but before he does that he's going to fuck around with the rock some more including stealing his title belt and then taking it over to the i think the hudson river was the river they were nearby for this episode i think so too yeah and then just standing on the bridge and just hurtling it into the river (laughs) Never to yeah. be seen again. Oh, uh, we should we should mention we should mention uh, hurling it into the river after he hurled a whole host of scuba gear into the river to yeah. to point out to to illustrate for the Rock what he would need in order to properly retrieve his title belt from yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yep, he's he throws in the the snorkeling gear, throws in an, an empty oxygen tank. He throws a cell. He throws a ninety a nineteen ninety seven cell phone in there. He apparently he the rocks pager. He apparently stole the rocks pager and then threw that in the river. <laughs> Which there's this really golden like moment you see after after it cuts away from from that like video feed of like the rocks reacting. He's like, "What the hell? That's my belt." What? He's working down uh, and the then, fanny pack and, trying yeah. to find well, the yeah. pager. Well, not and, and then and then well then too after the like after uh, Stone Cold's video is done, we see the rock like kind of consulting with the Nation of Domination. And one of them is like, like yelling at him, gesturing toward his fanny pack, as if to be saying, "How the hell did you let him get a hold of your pager?" Like, 
I can just imagine them like having a having a moment like that, and it's like, why are we focusing on the picture? What I love it is like, I love it is like the symbol. Yeah, I love it as this symbol of like of like just completely like Bugs Bunnying the Rock, uh, by by not only stealing his title but also his pager, just like from straight off his person somehow. It's symbolic in a way that I don't know means anything, but it's fucking mm-hmm. funny. No. Um, I think the last thing I guess to talk, I think to talk about from this little segment is, as we, as I had mentioned before, is that like slowly but surely the rock is becoming the leader of the nation of domination and taking that power away from Farouk. Um, and we kind of see it in the first half of this bit that we watched over a week ago where the rock is like ranting on about stone cold, Steve Austin and Farouk tries to get in a word edgewise and, and the rock just like shushes him and moves on and tells him to back off yep that was great Mm -hmm. that was like that was so funny i was like oh shit austin was not kidding about like about the rock kind of usurping farouk as 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 king of the nation yeah yeah Yeah. um it it it, this felt the most like a contemporary story i think Mm -hmm. um especially kind of with that off location shooting Something about that felt very like 2010s in how it was done, uh, mm-hmm. but in a 90s way. This is probably a meaningless thing to say, but like uh, I, I don't know. I, I appreciated that segment for kind of the straight up um, serious but also silly nature of it. Like it was clearly kind of like this this like ridiculous setup, but everybody plays it straight, and there's not a whole lot of like winking to the camera, and it's and and. Uh, and and it's not a thing that like makes you groan. It's like, oh shit! All right, well, let's see how this story plays out now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it was a really good segment overall, and it's kind of not. It's kind of nice that like the two biggest parts of this episode are so di- almost diametrically opposite. In that this is we have is that you know uh, the Vince McMahon cure for the common show is this out of nowhere kayfabe breaking back like investor call. <laughs> Yeah, and on the opposite end of this, you get this very storyline, this very storyline-driven moment that is almost like a culmination of an entire storyline. This is about the end of where you know I don't know. I think The Rock and Stone Cold might have problems with each other a few more times from now, but like this is pretty. This is effectively the end of this because Stone yeah. Cold needs to move on to other to bigger and better things in the coming months that we will that we will see on this podcast and so it's like I, we go from a thing we have a thing that didn't matter to any storyline to a thing that's almost a culmination of one yeah and i mean like again kind of back to cure for a common show for a second like mm-hmm. indirectly they they kind of set it up with with um uh vince calling out uh God, okay. I always Owen Hart. Owen Hart. Okay, thank you. Uh, I thought that I thought that I thought it was Owen, but I just want to double check. Yeah, it was Vince mm-hmm. calling out Owen Hart, um, and Owen Hart just kind of coming out and being like, being like, "Oh, you you screwed over my whole family, and that's why they're gone." But I'm sticking around, and I'm gonna make Shawn Michaels life and like, live and like, oh, uh, like I'm so mad. It's it's hard because I feel like if I was watching this as it aired. I would probably have to tell if I was, I I try to put myself into a mindset of what this was like airing as best I can. But for this in particular, it is so hard to not already know where this goes, which is to say nowhere. Because if I was, if I, if I was truly watching this at the time, 
with no knowledge of where this storyline goes. I would probably say that this whole segment was kind of awesome because in a way it is. You get Owen Hart having this righteous anger at Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon for how they've screwed his whole family. And like you said, he kind of, he's like, all of my, uh, the rest of my family, they left. They did what they had to do when they left. But I'm staying here. I'm going to be the one who gets vengeance for the family. And womp womp, it goes nowhere. Because as I've mentioned, po backstage politics is going to keep Owen Hart from ever really being able to take advantage of this storyline where he is popular right now. People are behind him because they are behind the Hart family as the victims of the screw job. And it just doesn't go, it just fizzles out into nothing. And it's such a waste and it's hard to not, it's hard to evaluate this segment now knowing how much it's it ends up being a waste yeah no it's it's the, the the thing that the thing that really hurts about it is like it's it's this glimpse of hope almost it's, it's almost mm -hmm. like it's almost like this redemptive thing uh in a way mm -hmm. where it kind of feels like this moment where the writers are taking a chance are taking a moment to say okay yeah things got screwed up that's on the company mm -hmm. let us give you a story of vengeance to kind of even it out a little bit. Again, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned, you mentioned like how the hell, you, you mentioned you were wondering how the hell Vince McMahon convinced Owen to stick around, like what he had to say to him, what he had to offer him. And I, I, and I could imagine one of those things being, we will give you a story where you get revenge and kind of, you know, in our own WWE way, we confess to kind of our shitty behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, which, yeah, that could have been a really cool thing to explore. And obviously like not, not perfect just because like you screw anybody over like that. And it, and it's just kind of like this betrayal of trust. Like, can really be taken. Yeah. Back. And like, like, here, like, like here's, and like we're, 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 we are kind of answering a real life screw job with a fake wrestling storyline. Yeah. <laughs> it's never going to be quite enough, but it could have been something. And, and a hell of a symbolic gesture. And one, one that could have had a bit of a positive impact on Owen in the heart, uh, partially because, you know, had he got to see this through, this could have been like a championship story. This could have been a, this could have been a big deal for him as mm -hmm. a character and as a performer uh, that could have elevated him to a star status that he never really got to attain in his life uh, just because of how shit went down for him mm -hmm. uh, due to the company that like, fucked over his family in the first place. It's kind of like this sad, vicious cycle uh, that that um, teases us so cruelly with this chance at, at redemption for this guy and just no. No, we're not going to do it. We're going <laughs> to... Nope. You know, at, at most... Um... I'm going to I'm going to skip ahead in the story a little bit here just to just for context what I'm going to say is that you know if there was any chance that he was going to get anything it kind of is dead at the next pay-per-view which they already talk about that the Undertaker for reasons I don't really know why is going to get another champ championship match with Shawn Michaels and Shawn Michaels in, is, is in a casket match where the uh, goal of the match is to uh, put another put the other person in a casket. Uh, it's an Undertaker. Um, it's an Undertaker special uh, yeah. signature match, if you could have guessed. But he's going to have this match, and 
Shawn Michaels is going to get injured and he ruptures like three discs in his back. And it's going to be an injury that basically ends his career for four years. And so after that, after this pay-per-view, you know, kid gloves are going to be had with Shawn Michaels for the next few months because we got plans with Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels and we need Shawn Michaels to not be hurt worse. So I feel like if there was any hope for Owen Hart to get something, then it was going to be after this pay-per-view. But after this pay-per-view, Shawn Michaels is going to be too hurt to do anything anyway. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's just sad. Uh, and, and, and like, like this being the kind of setup for the, um, the, the, for the common show kind of makes the, the ladder feel even cheaper. Like Mm -hmm. again, we're going to cop to the fact that, 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 you know, this, this ain't real to kind of do a little, you know, brush the, pull the, pull the rug up over, over this, like this, this big problem that we caused. Uh, and then we're going to do absolutely goddamn nothing for one of the people it affected. Just, just, just a little bit of like a little bit of glimmer of hope and then fucking nothing. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sucks to be you guys. Yeah, seriously. Um, I, 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 I can't abide by it, but it's, it's what we got, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's like we're complaining we're 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 going on about something that happened over twenty three years ago. But now. I mean, I, I think there's I think there's still I think there's still value in that. I mean, I mean, yeah. literally our whole our whole uh, this whole podcast is built on like um, uh, talking about and critiquing slightly antiquated media, mm-hmm. um, and it it is kind of like an interesting uh, case study into what corporations do when they ca- get caught with their hands in the cookie jar. Now, mm-hmm. admittedly, this is a pretty low-level cookie. Um, very small, very, very, very small cookie. Not, it's not it's, it's like not that it's bad. Like, it's, it's it's oatmeal raisin, so nobody really gives a shit about it anymore. But like, but like, it's still kind of a dick move, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, we stop and think about it and really analyze what's going on here. And of course, this is how it gets handled. Of course, it's Vince Vince McMahon's gonna Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's it's. It is a it is kind of an interesting like case study in in like damn they really just sometimes go completely mask off about how little they give a shit about about the people who work for them while still boldly pretending like they give a shit about the people who work for them and like and like the people who the people who watch them are are way too stupid to to understand what they're doing uh, in in how little they care about the people who work for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ugh, uh, better, lighter topic. Um, I guess, I guess the next, the story, the, the next story beat worth is, is kind of the, I guess a little bit mentioned of like the new age outlaw stuff with, mm. uh, and then the main event, this, this kind of very prolonged, but not super action packed beatdown. Um, where you know where uh sean michaels and triple h uh degeneration x are wrestling uh the road warriors uh animal legion and hawk the legion of doom they, they those names are used interchangeably in their career. yeah i figured uh and like it i do actually kind of appreciate the way that this ties in that ties into multiple stories at the same time because uh the outlaws took the titles from the from the legion of doom took the tag team titles from the legion of doom and they kind of come in at the end to kind of screw the the uh LOD over to lose the match and then they kind of help 
help help DX beat him up afterwards. And it's it's not it's not quite any a match worth really talking about. Um, you know, Shawn Michaels is amusing when he like completely <laughs> oversells. Yeah. Oh no, that was so much fun. I I, I want to throw out there that I actually do legitimately enjoy seeing seeing Shawn Michael oversell. Um, the like I find him so grating and and often such a such a deeply unlikable personality. Um, that. The fact that he sometimes will lean into the the cartoon the cartoony side of his like fallibility fel- is a nice touch that I can give him some points for. And I don't know if that's intentional or if he's just like a fucking moron. Um, I, I believe it is intentional. Yeah, that okay. kind of like intentionally kind of playing this up. <laughs> I will say that while that match was far from the most technically proficient thing we've ever watched, again. Mm-hmm. Just look at the. Just look at some of the other ones. Look at hell. Look at the the the, the one we were talking about earlier. It was one um, of the better ones on the show. <laughs> it, yeah, it didn't feel it. There was there was some good work going on. I did have some moments where I was like, oh, okay, nice moves there. Um, the uh, tag team matches are tag team matches. I've come to learn um, have this very interesting dynamic to them, where they dress it up as if there are rules to it. But there, it's it's lawless. It is a lawless country out in the tag yeah, team a little matches. bit, a little bit because there are like there are like this is kind of my take on like ta- like this is kind of like a popular like fan argument thing of like how strict rules should be in a tag team match, uh, especially with regards to things like um, how long you know like keeping the action between the two legal men essentially. The the people who are tagged into the match, and I and I do kind of take a bit of a take a uh, uh, take a stance of like I don't care too much about I don't, I'm not I I like there should be obviously some rules, but I don't care too much if like it gets a little bit lawless because it, it can be very exciting to watch. Yeah, I think I the lawlessness from my limited experience, I think I kind of stand with your take. There's this I, I there's this kind of visceral reaction I have to the idea of them like of them kind of like just throwing up their hands and and succumbing to lawlessness just off the bat. Um mm-hmm. because like, you know, even though this show is literally the death of kayfabe, there's still this kind of sense, right, of of it keeps you a little bit more in the world if there is some semblance of a rule set that is being somewhat adhered to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that being said, um, this is this is a match where I kind of really started to notice that tag team matches are kind of at their most fun when they throw uh, when they throw in the, those kind of like extra things that aren't technically by the rules supposed to be there, or like or are taking things to kind of like you know, to, to something more than just uh, two dudes in the ring, two dudes just kind of observing from outside the ring. Yeah, no, like, I'm like I'm saying, and I had a lot of fun when, like, Road War, when when Animal threw uh, Shawn Michaels out of the ring. Yep. Shawn Michaels flops around, but then he gets back <laughs> up, and Hawk immediately just, just clobbers him outside the ring. Like, technically, Hawk's not supposed to do that, but that was one of the best moments of the match. That's one of the, that's one of the exact moments I was thinking of. The other one, too, was I can't remember if it was Animal or Hawk, but he got he got um, Shawn Michael and Triple H in the ring at the same time, and freaking like just did a running like punch through both of them. Probably, uh, just, like, it could be either one of them. They both. Yeah, do that. I can't, I can't, I can't remember. But it was this great moment of like, uh, it, 
it, it was really cool too because like you could see the setup plain as day and you could tell kind of what was going to happen um but there was still a little bit of suspense to it and i felt deeply gratified when he did end up doing the thing of like he just go he goes and in a straight line just uh kind of goes down this diagonal plows through one of them keeps going plows through the other and emerges on the other side like just you know proud of proud of what he did and i i really appreciate that um it, it I this is this is a match that I, I I think is shows off a pretty good example of how to do a balance of that you know kind of lawlessness versus um versus lawfulness in 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 you know events like these partially because um uh, I think they did a really good job you know being sparse enough with the lawlessness it kind of gave the gave things a nice rhythm uh they they never kind of like broke too far into into you know, monotonous, uh, we follow all the rules on one end, or arrhythmic, anarchic, fuck the rules, nothing matters, on the other hand, it kind of had this nice, uh, almost like a jazz beat to it, where 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 it's, it stays pretty standard, where there's some syncopations, and then at the end, they util- they, they they do fly into lawlessness um, with, with the, you know... Uh, the outlaws show up. With, with the outlaws here. emerging and fulfilling their name and whatnot. But they keep the rhythm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it it never it never felt like it never felt too gratuitous. I really appreciated the the kind of um, the the surprisingly well balanced uh, nature of this match in particular, uh, which which kind of made up for the fact that there's not a whole lot of like super impressive work being done. Yeah, definitely. And then um, it's kind of it was it was, it was as I as like as I told David it's like this evil alliance of the outlaws and Degeneration X who have very who have very similar kind of uh, you know uh, moral out moral outlooks almost and they're both these kind of like sophomoreish dickheads mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they're coming together to do it work to do it together <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and you could kind of and you could kind of see the chemistry. Uh, Mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, childish bro comedy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just this, 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 this. They, they, they did a good job playing up that like these were birds of a feather. Um, in ring, and again, just added, just added a nice touch. This is, this is, it, it had like kind of a nice little like attention to detail in it that, um, that sometimes the '90s doesn't always adhere to. I mean, you know, how a lot of just like any pick your era, any of them will sometimes get sloppy. And this is one of those ones that could have been sloppy. I appreciate that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Other other major happenings. I guess we can talk about Undertaker and Kane, but that was a lot less of a thing than I expected it to be. A whole lot of nothing. I mean, it was. I mean Undertaker and Kane... One day we will do something on here where the Undertaker is significant and you get the appeal. Yeah. I mean... I. I kind of, I kind of got it here. I, I'm really, kind, I'm really trying to figure out what my disconnect is with regards to the Undertaker, um, and I think there's just like a certain hokiness to it. Um, we haven't watched a thing yet where his like power levels have really been established as something to be feared, um, and I, I just haven't quite found that entry point where I can find his demeanor at all really intimidating. Um, in where instead it's more um uh well, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a lot more um uh, uh just kind of silly and over the top. Mm-hmm. Um which is 
which is funny because that's the reason I love Kane. But I love Kane because he plays into that, whereas Undertaker is just always like grim, dark, serious. And I haven't found a reason to respect that yet. Yeah. And this is also this is an era when Kane is pretty grim, dark, serious. This is like this is definitely among the most like e- serious and evil Kane gets. Yeah. Which I think is dumb and hokey too. A, but at least we got Paul Bearer, who at this point has kind of given up on, you know, we, I will talk more about Paul Bearer probably when we go back and we do the 94 in a couple episodes and we go to 94. But he had this, he used to have this cadence about him when he was with the Undertaker. He'd be like, I can do a pretty good Paul Bearer. He'd be like, oh, yes, with my Undertaker gets, your, gets his hands on you. And by now he just gives up on that fake shit. And now he's like in his regular voice and he sounds like this like Southern preacher <laughs> preaching about the yelling about the brim, the fire and brimstone of hell, which is where Cain is going to drag you undertaker. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it, I mean, again, hokey, but mm-hmm. appropriately. So I, I don't mm-hmm. know. It, it, it's, I, I, I just struggle uh, in some cases to take to, like there's there's a certain balance that has to be struck in order for me to kind of take those very grim dark characters seriously. Like there's a reason um there's a reason I was able to kind of um we mentioned this. I can't remember we I think we mentioned this during the Brody Lee episode or or the one mm-hmm. before that of of how on you know the kind of the most recent happenings in WWE um how I was looking forward to to, to getting in on uh watching that whole Fiend and Randy Orton thing. Uh, even though I didn't really have much of a reference point for either other than seeing them like uh, seeing them once or twice and talking about them with you. Um, they do a good job at that kind of striking this balance of of something about them uh, makes it feel as though you should respect how scary they are. Undertaker and Kane have that air about them, but their setup is each so kind of silly and cartoony and outlandish, which again is a weird thing for me to say where I, while I still like respect the fiend for how scary he's supposed to be, but like it, it feels so, so overwrought. Um, and, and, and consequently, uh, Paul Bear is the most natural part of that setup with him. Just like being this, this little imp of a man, uh, just, just there ready to, 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 to cry, the uh, the Undertaker and, and and praise his true adopted son, uh, the 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 demon, the devil's favorite demon, or whatever. I'm so confident that this storyline picks up picks up after Undertaker agrees to actually fight Kane because we're still we're still in this portion of the story where Undertaker is swearing by his dead parents that he is not going to raise hand raise his hand against his younger brother. Mm-hmm. Obviously, eventually he does that. Yeah. I, I feel like that's kind of a, and, and if they do this, correct me, but like, as far as I can tell, they don't. I feel like it's kind of a missed opportunity for like giving Undertaker some true pathos of, of making him a little more three-dimensional than just scary dude with a deep voice who says you will rest in pieces. Uh, like, like imagine if they gave him kind of this three-dimensional thing of like, of like real torment over like, over like a, a moral conundrum. My brother wants to murder me, but I feel guilt for what I did. So maybe he's justified and maybe I shouldn't fight back. Like 
it's it feels like this wasted potential almost. Yeah, I mean they they get about I think they get about as close to that as you're gonna get in pro wrestling, and I'm I'm uh, I don't remember when this happened, so I'm not gonna spoil it. But I will say that like what Kane does to get Undertaker to fight is a lot. Like he goes pretty far. Oh Jesus! <laughs> so, but I don't want to mention anything about it until I remember when it happens, and so I know if when I would need to talk about it. But like yeah. And I appreciate that, that like Undertaker seemed pretty dead set about not doing it until who did Kane force his hand? Yeah, he's just pushed to the brink sort of thing. Right. Yeah, I get that. And 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 I can see that as being a point where I where I kind of do get into the Undertaker and like this I, I don't want to say I don't see his appeal. I see his appeal. It just for me hasn't connected yet because I just haven't found myself the reason to 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 get into it to kind of respect that hustle um yeah but it was it was cool to see again another kind of moment of history um moving backwards from things you and i have talked about before that happened later um mm-hmm. you know we talk we've talked about kane a lot on this show he's quickly become a favorite character of mine um you know we talked about undertaker a little bit and we've and we've kind of hinted at the backstory they share together and all you know kind of kind of their origins and what led them to, to where they've been in other places. We've watched them later down the line. Mm-hmm. So the, kind of seeing this as kind of the, the birth of Kane and um, the, the impetus of one of the undertaker's most famous stories, if not his most famous, um, it is kind of this nice time capsule, even if I do find it a little hokey. Yeah. And I, and I would definitely think this might um, outside of the Undertaker's streak being a, at WrestleMania being his own, its own kind of story, I would definitely say his rivalry with Kane is his biggest is the most famous story he ever did. That is good anyway. He has, <laughs> there's a lot of famous Undertaker stories that are also just shit, and they're famous for being shit. Uh, I mean, I mean, he's a big personality, and I'm yeah. sure he's I'm sure he's as well. He's as revered and and well known for for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I get glimpses of that here. I just wish I could take it seriously, personally. Yeah, no, I understand that. Um, I think that's part of the fun of this podcast, I think, is, is, is seeing my reactions to things as someone who, who, is, who is a wrestling nerd. And then, and then your reactions to things, who has who is very limited experience in everything. And kind of just, you're seeing it as I, best, as I can best present it. Yeah, so no, well, 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 what? What I what I appreciate what I, I've kind of worried uh, you know already about like damn is there gonna is there gonna come a day where this format gets stale or something but I think mm-hmm. I think I think uh, I think just the continued like rift between between kind of where you and I are approaching uh, approaching this this from um, mm-hmm. I think we've definitely seen some a lot a lot of instances of of there's a there's a slight fundamental difference in in how in in the frames through which you and i view these things um because you're someone who's been bought into this world for years and who is you know as insanely knowledgeable about it uh as as one can get for for as long as for you know for being Mm -hmm. in uh just like just uh just you know uh about seven years eight years eight years yeah less than less than a decade and you're and you're a veritable expert on this you know at least as much as you can be um Mm -hmm. Uh, this is this for you is very much a a internal appreciation thing, uh, mm-hmm. whereas whereas for me, um, you know, I take I take the um the the uh general 
media analysis lens to it. Um, and, and, and I, I, I just want to, I just want to reiterate too, cause I, I, this is, I never want this to, when I, when I'm going in on something like this, I never want it to sound like I'm bashing, uh, mm-hmm. any of this, uh, unless something that deserves to be bashed, obviously, like, you know, there's some right. dumb shit that I'm definitely like, what the fuck, but like, but something like this, um, I, I can appreciate that, that I, there's a perspective I simply lack when it comes to storylines like Undertaker versus Kane. Um, in that, in that just by virtue of how brand new I am, I'm missing something inherent to inherent to um the way in which this could be viewed that could make it feel epic and serious and what have you that you simply have by virtue of how long you've been in on this and how deeply educated you are on this and and i i want to put out there for you and and for people listening who like you know may actually like watch the stuff and know the stuff i'm this is never me uh trying to to poo poo on people's taste again unless like you're you're a fan of some more like really yikesy things on this show then in that case i might be a little judgy but you know yeah which generally. thankfully nothing the sultan but thankfully i don't really think anything was uh yeah no I'm, no I, I, I could, I could tell look look austin i could tell looking at the sultan that nobody gives a shit about the sultan no. um so i'm not particularly worried about being like the sultan looks really problematic yeah um, like uh, ew as I told, as I told Dave when we were watching it, the Sultan is something that's straight out of like 1983 in terms of its place as a wrestling character, and here he is in 1997 played unironically. Yeah, for some reason. I mean, I mean, look, this I, I on some on some level I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, contemporary area we still have the we saw the they took our job crowd and a lot of like still really unfortunate racial stereotyping. But it's like he's so he looks so cartoony that like at least his aesthetic feels like a bit of a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but 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 yeah, all this all this to say like um um the this this stands as intellectually interesting to me as as like there's some impactful stuff that happened in this in this episode, um, and for someone like me who still getting very much accustomed to this world and all it's kind of like weird idiosyncrasies and his ups and downs and what have you. It's so bizarre to watch them play out totally not in the way that I think they would play out or play out exactly in the way I could see them playing out. But my just for some reason, not being able to engage with it on the level that like the, the, the broader wrestling fan gentry can with ease. Mm-hmm. And, and and obviously and obviously then the the very interesting part is then getting your perspective on it, seeing like seeing if I'm kind of out of step and being like this is weird or if, or if, or if you kind of have the same barometer on it. Um, no, <laughs> I, I I'm honestly I'm as, as, I guess my I'm gonna end up saying I just love just hearing other people's perspectives in general. But as much as I just said like I love seeing where we differ, I also have kind of always real. I also found a lot of appreciation for when like you and Claire like immediately pick up on things that the wrestling fandom also has picked up on for years and complains about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's rather gratifying for you. Like wow, yeah, it's like yeah, I feel so grat. Like I feel like yes, it is that obvious that someone with no with no context for wrestling immediately sees like. vindication (laughs) well because because, well this isn't particularly this isn't a subtle show by any means uh as as much as vince mcmahon's fancy talk and in the cure for the common joe would like you make you think this is a dignified pastime no Uh, no this is this is it 
it's not particularly subtle and anyone with any sort of like media literacy um can um can can probably pick up on a lot of those little facets but from what you've told me and this is this is a bit of a tangent but from what you've told me about like some of the discourse you see in the wrestling fandom media literacy to this to this level that that to us feels like second nature isn't always the case amongst the broader fandom um there are there are people who will who go up to bat for some kind of questionable things and mm-hmm. um and you know there's there's debate about certain um certain you know the the merit of certain things that happen in ring out of ring what have you um so take allowing this and god this this is going to sound so pretentious but allowing this to be like an intellectual but still fun look at the medium um i think i think just adds a lot of um i don't i don't even i don't even know exactly but 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 adds adds something to the something to the discourse in which like um this is neither like we see we see bad things and we're like all of wwe sucks um but we're we're able to laugh at it while also giving a serious critique and and you know for as much as these are things that happened in this case like what 14 years ago or uh, 24, 24, 24, Jesus Christ. The, oh, the 90s holy was shit. only 10 years ago. Holy shit. <laughs> oh know. no, I did the thing. No. Um, I, I, well, I think that's what gives merit to, to us talking, to talking rather passionately about things like the, the, uh, the Montreal screw job is, is, you know, we have, we can apply that kind of intellectual media literacy to it. Uh, where even though this is a thing that happened fucking forever ago, uh, that no one that doesn't really impact anything anymore we can kind of take it and see how it still has echoes into the modern day. Not, not in the effects of what happened itself, but, but how we can see um, things reminiscent of that kind of taking Mm -hmm. shape and then being able to apply it to say, you know, this has gotten better. The Montreal screw job is a one-time thing, but wrestlers still get screwed over on the reg. Um, and so we can kind of take that and say it's gotten better, but here's how we think it can get even better, which I think is a fun place to take the discourse of just kind of like if we were Vince McMahon, what would we do to kind of like set certain things right? Yeah, um, yeah. I I don't even know where I would where I would you know go. Yeah, sorry, that, that. that was that was kind of rambly. I probably I probably like went on a couple different tangents there and arrived at a non sequitur conclusion, but. Ah. Uh, it's fine. I don't. I don't really think there's anything else to really bring up in this episode, anyway. Unless you really want to talk about Jose Estrada. I uh, no. It's, what? Nothing. <laughs> that was nothing. Whole lot of nothing. Big yeah. nothing burger. Steve Blackman didn't even throw as many kicks as I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> that was all. That was the best part. Wow. Is every day. Is every time. Is every time Karate Master Steve Blackman threw a kick, Austin went yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that that's all there is to talk about. Austin's good yeah. at making funny sound effects. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, what we are we have returned to the '90s. I think a bet. I think definitely think a better return than where we started. True. True. And kayfabe is dead. Rip. Where the hell do we go from here? It gets it gets wacky. This is this was the most normal. It's, this is the most normal. It's gonna be for a while, folks. Shit's about to get weird. And we're we're as much along for the ride on that as you folks are. So uh, stay tuned. Indeed. So 
next time we are returning to July of 2011. Uh, Because only two weeks ago, in in this time period, of course, um, we had the pipe bomb heard around the world. But now we are a week away from Money in the Bank. And John Cena and CM Punk are going face-to-face to sign that contract on the dotted line for their title match. Let's go. We're going back to the summer of punk. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so hyped. Okay. Wait, wait. I, I just, I just want to like, I just, I just want to take a second um, to, to, to point out like the, the aesthetic similarity between something like the attitude era and the summer of punk and that they're both like, you, you know, extreme, um, but just the deafness with which the summer of punk ha- handles it just puts puts the entire attitude era pretty much to shame. We'll see how you we'll see how you maintain that going forward. Oh no, no wait! We do, wanna... have, to, we do gotta have to cover the the entire summer of punk, including its its terrible crash. But that's for so oh, far no. down the line. Okay, okay, okay. So we so so we still get to enjoy summer of punk next. Yeah, time. this is still good. We're still good right now. Okay, bada big bada boom. All right, the, the, the bad, bad punk doesn't exist for now. I'm just I'm just gonna pretend like you pretend like we didn't have that disclaimer. Yeah, we're only fun, only fun from here on out. Let's get give it to me direct it, inject into my veins. Thank you. Nice, but yeah, uh, we will, hopefully we'll be back next week. Back. <laughs> oh Jesus! All right, David. Uh, uh, social. Yes, yes. Social status. Hello, my friends. Thank you all again so much for watching and, uh, or I guess listening to another episode of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. We are so gratified to have all of you tuning in to, to check us out. Uh, if you would like to continue checking us out, if you're hearing us for the first time by Hackenstand and you're like, hmm, where else can I hear these guys? We can be found on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and Google. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Noobs and Knocks Pod. That's noobs, the letter N, Knox Pod. Uh, if you'd like to get directly in contact with the show, sur- suggest episodes, give feedback, just just tell us hi. Uh, you can you can uh, email us at uh, noobsandknockoutspod at gmail.com. Um, and that's pretty much uh, all the places we have our socials. I still want to like try to expand out to a few different places. Uh, um, but for now, that's where you can find us. Uh, wherever you like to listen to podcasts and you know say hi to us on twitter and gmail um yeah just just keep on just just keep on listening subscribe uh subscribe on youtube give us a rating on on the podcast uh on the podcast sites that really helps out our engagement and helps us you know reach a broader audience and you know if you could leave a nice review that would appreciate that uh, yeah i mean that'd be really nice to these you know just be like even if it's just like david and austin seem like such lovely gentlemen um yeah no uh but but as always just thank you all so much for listening we're very excited uh to continue this this journey with all of you i'm having fun austin's having fun we're all having a good time uh and yeah that's that's about it for this time so we'll catch you all uh, we'll catch you all later see ya hasta luego